This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Take your Bibles and turn to John 15, if you would. John 15. We began this year uh, talking about walking with Jesus. As I was towards the end of last year, thinking about what I wanted to do as we started this new year, knowing that, Lord willing, here in a couple of weeks, I'll begin an extended series through the Gospel of Luke, which is our normal habit to walk through books of the Bible. And on, uh, I believe, the 16th, Uh, No, that's not true. The week after that, I don't know, sometime in the next few weeks, I'll spend the rest of the year in the Gospel of Luke. But uh, coming into this year, I want us to begin by talking about just the practical aspect of following Jesus Christ. I want us to think about those basic but often neglected spiritual disciplines that lead us into intimacy. And so we started by looking about what it means for Jesus to be the way, someone that we follow. We talked about what it means to read our Bible, specifically to find Jesus, what it means to pray, and what it means to fast. And this morning, we come to the end of a 21-day fast. Can anyone say amen if you've been fasting? Uh, It's been a wonderful journey, but this morning, we come to the end of that. And uh, let me just tell you my number one prayer as I prayed throughout this fast. I was praying that those of you who fasted from something in some way would meet Jesus. That you would encounter Jesus. Jesus says that he rewards those who seek him, that if we seek him, we'll find him. My first prayer, as I listed out all of the things I'm praying for, was that you who sought the Lord would find him, that you would have some breakthrough, that he would become real to you, that he would give you something. And I hope that over the last 21 days, he's done that. And that has been the goal. The goal in all of this is Jesus, that we might know him and have intimacy with him. But before we leave this series, I I want to make sure we understand one very important connection. I think it's it's something that if we're not careful after five weeks on intimacy with Jesus and walking with Jesus, we might miss it. But if we miss this, we may have missed the whole deal. And that is the connection between our intimacy with Jesus and fulfilling the mission of Jesus. How do those two things work together? How do we fulfill our mission, which is leading people to trust and follow Jesus? So our mission is to get as many people to Jesus as we can, because that's the Great Commission. We want everybody to know Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to follow Jesus. We want to lead them to make initial commitment to no longer trust in their own righteousness, but trust in the righteousness of Jesus. We want them to come to the place where they acknowledge that Jesus alone and his death on the cross can pay for our sins. And then we want them to begin a life of following Jesus. That's our mission. But how does that connect with our own personal walk with Jesus Christ? And I think the answer to that is found in one word that's in John 15, and the word is abide. Abide. The connection between our personal walk with Jesus and the mission that God has called us to engage in is found in the word abide. I've mentioned this to you before, but I love biographies. Uh, I got hooked on these when I was a senior in high school. And a missionary by the name of Roy Mansfield handed me Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. It is now the book 
that I hand to every graduate of Prince Avenue Christian School. I stand right there, and as every one of those graduates walk by, uh, I give them a copy of this book because it had such an impact on my life. And it started me on a journey that I didn't realize just to love biographies. And I don't know, I've read 50 or 60 probably biographies over the last 20, 25 years. And I've noticed as I read biographies of missionaries, a connection with John 15. It's certainly evident in Hudson Taylor's life, but if you'll read biographies of Christian missionaries, it's amazing how often John 15 comes up. And here's the reason why. Because they discover the connection between mission and intimacy. And most often how it works in their life is this, is they go with this great zeal to lead people to Christ. And they go to the difficult places and the hard places, and they're committed to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. But they find themselves, given all of the suffering and the difficulty of the mission, becoming exhausted and overwhelmed and often lifeless and joyless. And in that process, God takes them to John 15, where they come to discover that they might have gotten things backward. That it doesn't begin with mission, it begins with intimacy. And that mission is actually the right product of an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And you'll see these missionaries discover, after being on the field, the joy that it is to discover a life-giving, joyful relationship with Jesus that leads them to accomplish the mission of God. And that's exactly what we learn from John 15. So I want us to make that same connection that others have made as I read from John 15, verses 1 through 17. If you're there and ready to follow along, say amen. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. If you mark in your Bibles, mark that. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you 
And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. There are a thousand things that we could say about this text. But the thing that becomes most clear as we just read it one time is that Jesus cares about fruit. That it is his expectation that his disciples bear fruit. We know that because over and over and over again, he mentions the idea of fruit. In those 16 verses I just read, eight times Jesus mentions fruit. And if you're trying to understand the theme of a certain text, not only do you look at the context, but you look at just repeated words. So certainly fruit is a primary issue here. But it's not just fruit, it's much fruit. Look at what he says in verse 2. He says, Every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So uh, the Lord is working on us, pruning us, this painful process of removing things from our life with the goal of more fruit. Verse 5, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears, listen, much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 8, this By this my Father is glorified. How is the Father glorified that you bear much fruit? And how do you prove to be a disciple of Jesus and so prove to be my disciples? God is glorified when we bear fruit. And when we bear much fruit, we prove to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus cares about fruit. And he cares about the increasing amount of fruit that all of us are producing as disciples of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 16. This is incredible. Jesus says, you did not choose me. You say, well, what does Jesus mean by that? Well, he means just that. None of the disciples said, hey, I'm going to come follow you. No, Jesus said, you follow me. And he said, you follow me and you follow me. Jesus chose them. And then he says this, and I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide or remain or be lasting. Jesus says, I chose you. I called you out, Matthew and Peter. I called you, James, and I appointed you that you would bear fruit. Meaning, every time Jesus calls a disciple, he calls a disciple for the goal that their life might bear fruit and they might consistently, as a growing disciple, bear more and more fruit. Jesus cares about fruit. And from verse 16 and verse 8, it seems clear That if we're not bearing fruit, we should wonder if we're actually a disciple. Now, have you ever heard anyone say, I just want to be faithful. That's all I want. I I just want to live my life. And at the end, I want to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. And what they mean by that is they want to have right doctrine. And they, they want to do what is right. And they want to honor the Lord. And they really want to just leave the results up to God. And certainly... Pastors like 1 Corinthians 3 make it clear that God is the one who is determining the increase of our life. But often people would say, I just want to be faithful. Well, as much as I understand that, and much as I think those who say that mean well, that's not all that I want from my life. If I read John 15 and understand it correctly, I don't want at the end of my life to just be found faithful. I want to come to the end of my life and be found fruitful. 
I don't want to live with this passive approach that I'm just going to kind of live my life and do what is right and leave all the results up to God. No, I understand that much of the results are up to God, but not all of them are up to God. I want to bear fruit. I want to be someone who in an ever-creasing way is bearing the fruit that comes from the life of Jesus Christ. Because you cannot come to the end of these 17 verses and fail to see the clear fact that Jesus intends his disciples to bear fruit. If you're a disciple of Jesus, meaning this, you've come to a moment in your life when you've trusted Jesus as the payment for your sins. You've said, Jesus, I believe that your death is sufficient payment for my sins, and I choose to begin a life of following you. That's what a disciple is, someone who has chosen to trust and follow Jesus. If that's you, Jesus intends that you bear fruit and much fruit. So I I just want to try to answer a couple of questions this morning about this fruit. What is it, and, and how does it come in our lives, and what is the consequence of this bearing fruit? The first question I want to answer is, is what is this fruit that Jesus cares so much about? Much fruit and more fruit. What fruit is he, is he talking about? Well, this is a metaphor. And when it comes to these metaphors that Jesus uses, we, we just have to think clearly and really rather simply about them. Sometimes we come to a parable or a metaphor, we try to make too much of it. But if we just take the simple idea of this metaphor of a vine and a branch, it seems very clear that the point of the metaphor is that the very life of Christ would be manifested through us. That we as a branch would be connected to the vine, and in so doing, the life of Jesus would flow through us. I mean, that's the point of verse 5. Jesus defines the nature of our relationship. Jesus says, I am the vine, meaning all of the life is in him. Everything is found in Jesus. We've got nothing, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. That makes sense, right? If we're closely connected to Jesus, his life is flowing through us. But apart from me, you can do nothing. You say, well, listen, I can prove right now this isn't true. I've done a ton of stuff without Jesus. Well, all of us have done a lot of stuff without Jesus. We just haven't bore any lasting fruit without Jesus. If we want lasting fruit, fruit that remains, verse 16, that kind of fruit only comes from those who are abiding in Jesus. It is simply the very life of Jesus flowing through us. But I think we can be more specific than that. Certainly, that is what it means, the very life of Jesus. But if we think about John 15 in the overall context, we can get more specific. John 15 is right in the middle of what is called the upper room discourse. John 13 through John 17 is generally one conversation in which Jesus is speaking to his disciples before his departure. It's where he says, I'm leaving you, but I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm sending my Holy Spirit. It's where he reminds them of what they're to do when he leaves and what life is to be like once he leaves. And if you were to start in the beginning of John 13 and read to the end of 17... There are two themes that would become most clear to you. The first one is the theme of love. From the beginning of 13, primarily in 13, all the way to 17, there's this constant emphasis on love. 34 times in these chapters, love is mentioned. It's even mentioned in John 15, 10 times. We read it in verses 9 and 10. It says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, so abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And these things I have spoken to you, that your joy may be full, that you might know my love and rest in my love and remain in my love. Love is a key theme all the way throughout. In John 13, Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to love each other like I've loved you. To which they wonder, well, Jesus, how have you loved me? And it is at that moment in which Jesus gets down on his knees, takes a towel and a basin, and begins to wash their feet. And Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. Jesus was showing them the kind of love he expected, this sacrificial serving love. But the other theme in this discourse is the theme of the lost. You could even make a case that Jesus' intention for them loving each other John 13, 35, was so that the lost would come to know him. He says, I want you to love each other like I've loved you. And by this, by this love, all men will know that you're my disciples. So Jesus' thought was this, is that we love each other in such a way that the world notices the love that we have each other for each other. And it's not a normal love. It's not the kind of love you see anywhere else. And people begin to notice and they're drawn to Christ because of the love we have for one another. And everything in this passage, in 13 through 17, is preparing the disciples for his departure. Their need to love one another, the power of their love, the promise of the coming Holy Spirit, the reality of the suffering that's awaiting them, the way in which they will be hated by the world. At the end of John 17, as Jesus is praying for his disciples, he says this, He says, Father, as you have sent me into the world, so I send them. Which is exactly what he says in John 20, 21. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. So this theme of us loving one another so that we might lead the lost to Christ is, I believe, exactly the kind of fruit he's talking about in John 15, right in the middle of this conversation that the primary fruit that Jesus wants from the life of every disciple is that we manifest the life of Jesus by loving and leading the lost to him. How can we even argue that the primary fruit of the disciple is anything but that? I mean, this is why Jesus came, that he might love and lead the lost. And so it is, he is leaving his disciples the exact same way that he was sent. Go and love and serve, the Father says to Jesus, and sacrifice your life that the lost might be led to me. And so if you look at all of the emphasis on fruit in John 15, it is easy to make the case that the ultimate fruit of every disciple is that the life of Jesus might flow through us in loving people and leading the lost to Christ. In other words, the fruit is our mission. That's the fruit of the disciple. The the fruit of the disciple is the mission. And this is how the Great Commission works, that we lead people to trust and follow Jesus. And those disciples lead other people to trust and follow Jesus. And this continues to reproduce. Why? Because the fruit that God wants us to be bearing is the fruit of our mission, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. So just read into this every time he says more fruit, more fruit, that our lives might be leading more people to love and trust Jesus. And you say, well, well, how does that happen? How is it that we come in our lives to bear this fruit? And that's exactly the second question I want to answer. How do we bear this fruit? We've been appointed for it. 
It's Jesus's expectation. I would think we want it. Well, how do we bear it? Well, again, this is a metaphor, and this is why a metaphor is so important. It's a metaphor, verse 5, of the vine and the branches, which reminds us that bearing fruit is a byproduct of something else. We can't just skip to the fruit and say, I want fruit. How do I get fruit? Well, no, fruit comes from a branch. And the branch only bears fruit, verse 5, if it's connected to the vine. And if it's not connected to the vine, there is no fruit that is coming. Fruit always flows from a branch that's connected to the vine. And without that connection, there will be no fruit. Which means this. We don't just seek fruit. We have to seek something else. Like we can't just be thinking fruit, 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 because that fruit is going to come from something else. That's exactly why in all of the emphasis on fruit, listen to this, Jesus never once commands us to bear fruit. Isn't that amazing? He wants fruit. He says much fruit, more fruit, much fruit. But never once in John 15 does he command you to bear fruit. There is one primary command in John 15 and everything flows from it. And it's the first three words of verse four. Look at it. One command, abide in me. That's the command. And 10 times he says it over and over and over. Abide in me, abide in me. And it is an active command. It is a command that means by the very act of our will, it's something we choose to do. We choose to be connected to Jesus Christ. You say, what does the word abide mean? Well, don't overthink it. What does it mean for a branch to be connected to the vine? It simply means that we are closely united, dependent, and connected to the one who has all the life. So if a branch is just dangling and barely holding on, there's not going to be a lot of life or fruit that is coming. But if a branch is closely connected to the vine, then the life that is flowing through the vine will be flowing to us. So in simplest terms, it means this. Is that the way in which we come to bear the fruit of leading people to trust and follow Jesus is by working as hard as we can to stay as closely connected to Jesus as possible. That's the goal. You say, well, how how do we do that? How do we stay closely connected to Jesus? Well, look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So we're at the end of a series here, these little five-week series on walking with Jesus. I'm trying to tie it all together here. I talked the first week about walking with Jesus, and then I talked about fasting and praying and reading, and the way all of this comes together is right here. You say, how do we stay closely connected to Jesus so that we might bear fruit? He says in verse 7, you start with the Word of God. Every single verse, as I talked about in my sermon on reading the Bible, is bringing us to Jesus. It is drawing us to Jesus. Jesus is the Word of God. And as he tells us in Luke 24, every single verse is pointing us to Jesus. So if we want to stay close to Jesus, we get in the Word. His Word is in us. We're meditating on it. We're reading it. We're memorizing it. We're full of the Word. And we begin to be connected to Jesus by being connected with his word. And then he brings up prayer in verse 7. 
He says, and then you will ask whatever you wish and it will be done for me. And by this, my father is glorified. And so Jesus says part of this abiding is also praying that you're communicating with the Lord. You say, well, that's great, but where's fasting? I think you tricked us on the fasting when it's not here. We didn't have to do this. And I told you that the reason we fast is to feast. We say we're going to say no to this so that we might spend more time doing what? Feasting on the word and communicating with God in prayer. So fasting is a means to an end. So it is that fasting, praying, and reading the word are these specific disciplines that God has given us for this one purpose. To keep us as closely connected to Jesus as we possibly can so the fruit of his life might come through us. That's why we stay connected to Jesus. Which means that intimacy with Jesus and the mission of Jesus are not just working together. They're inseparable. This is this revelation, this light that goes on in all of these missionaries' head in which they realize, wait a minute, I can't just go out there with missionary zeal if I'm not also going out there with a desire to be intimate with Jesus. That is a lifeless and a joyless process. And some of you know what it's like to try to be married and to try to raise kids and to try to be a faithful student and to try to be morally pure in the flesh. It just doesn't work because we have skipped the first part of the process, which is intimacy with Jesus, staying as closely connected to him as we possibly can. Now listen to this. If you've been around a church for a while, then you might say, well, pastor, I get that, but I know a lot of people who abide but don't bear any fruit. Meaning, I know people who've been to like 7,000 Bible studies and never led anybody to Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Every time there's a Bible study, they go. They don't miss church. They just do all the right things, but I don't see them bearing fruit. And so, Pastor, how does this happen? How is it that I know somebody who reads the Bible and they love to study the Bible, but there's just no fruit? As I was fasting over the last few weeks, I told you this. One of the things I do is I write down all of the things I want to see the Lord do. And then on the other page, I write down all the things the Lord is is doing. And it's always interesting to me because they're usually not direct answers, meaning I ask, sometimes that happens, I ask for this and it happened. It's more what God is trying to invest in me in order to see those things happen. And one of the primary lessons the Lord taught me over the last three weeks is the difference between form and substance. Form and substance. I'd never thought of this before. Maybe I should have thought about it a long time ago. But over the last couple of weeks, I can't, Just forget this idea of form and substance. This right here is a form. It's a cup. It's just just a form. It has nothing in it. It's, It's a form. Now, if you say, Josh, I'm really thirsty. Could you give me something? And I hand you this, you're not going to be very grateful. Because I handed you a form without any substance. Now, you say, is the form important? Well, absolutely the form is important. Because the form exists to hold a substance. Now, the reason this is important, because if you asked me for a drink and I handed you an empty cup, you would not be very happy. But if you asked me for a drink and I threw water on you without a form, you would also not be very happy. You say, Pastor, I'm really thirsty. And I literally throw, I was going to do it, but I'm not. I just throw water on you and you look at me like, what are you doing? To which I respond, I literally just gave you an entire cup of water. I don't know why you're whining. 
You see, form and substance really matter, and they really have to go together because a form without a substance doesn't do you any good, and a substance without a form also doesn't do you much good. Both of these things work together. And in order for you to receive the refreshment that you need from this water, you need a substance that is going into a form and handed to you. You say, well, Pastor Josh, I'm so glad the Lord taught you about form and substance when it comes to a glass of water. What the Lord is teaching me is this, is that churches love forms. We love forms. I was talking to Sky Pratt about this this morning. I was saying, Sky, we we love forms. You know why? Because it makes a pastor feel good if he can give you a form. A form is a trip. A form is a Bible study. A form is a class. A form is a Bible reading schedule. A form is a prayer retreat. It's just forms. And if we give you enough forms, you feel like we're doing a good job because you know we're working hard because we put together some good forms. And you love forms because forms make you feel good about yourself. But every form, if it doesn't have a substance, is meaningless. And the substance of everything we do is Jesus Christ. That is the substance. So you can have a thousand forms and none of them have substance, meaning your form will be empty and lifeless. And that's exactly what the Pharisees did. They loved forms. Nobody knew the word better. You say, well, how did they spend so much time in the word and never bear any fruit? Because they missed the substance. They read the Bible without getting Jesus. It's an empty form. You can go on a thousand trips. You can go all around the world in the name of Jesus Christ. You can go to a thousand Bible studies. You can have a quiet time every single day. But if in the midst of all of those activities, your goal is not to get Jesus, you will be an empty form. And I want to plead with you to read your Bible and to pray and to fast and to go take advantage of the forms that we give you because the substance has to go in something, but all of those things are only a form if you miss Jesus. We don't want to be a church or or people of empty forms. We want the life of Jesus to be flowing through us. And if you have any form that is not leading you to Jesus, it will be an empty form. You know, I've been thinking about this since the the day I got here, and I mentioned it to the staff, but it just doesn't seem to get much traction, so I'm going to see what you think. From the day I've got here, see that left little rectangle right up there? What I've wanted to do, I've told you this before, but I'm going to say it again, because I think it's a great idea and no one agrees. I want to put, I want to take the same metal from that that cross, and I want to put the word Jesus real big, fill up that whole thing with light behind it, and here's the reason why. It's because this worship service is a form. It's a form. It's just a form. You know how we know that? Because there's people all over America right now coming to a worship service, and it's only a form because there's no Jesus there. This gathering means nothing without Jesus. The only reason we gather is because we have Jesus and have been united with the Father because of Jesus. And the only reason we gather is to get more of Jesus. This is an empty form unless Jesus is here. And I want to make sure that you don't do all the right things, but it proved to bear no fruit because you've missed the substance of everything. You say, how can these people do a hundred Bible studies and not bear fruit? It's because they're missing Jesus. 
They're missing the substance. The whole point of John 15 is to get you to realize the goal of everything that we're calling you to do is so that you might be closely connected to Jesus and his very life might come through you. That's why we abide. Because we want Jesus to be manifested from us. And sometimes it does start not with a desire for intimacy. Sometimes it starts with a desire for mission. Thousands of people groups that have not heard the name of Jesus, your neighbors, your friends, your associates, your schoolmates who are not walking with Jesus. And if there is a desire in your heart to lead them to Christ, which there should be, you must be faithful to share the gospel. But it must start with you being someone who knows what it means to experience the life of Jesus. And instead of working in your own flesh, you put your best effort into getting close to Jesus so that his life might flow through you. And when we do that, all this other stuff starts to happen. I mean, it tells us in verse four that as we abide in Jesus, the life of Jesus flows through us. And listen, if we're hungry and thirsty, all we want is the life of Jesus. In verse seven, it says, if we abide in Jesus, our prayers are answered. In verse eight, it says, God is glorified. In verse 11, it says, we get filled with joy. And in verse 16, it says, the things that we do will be lasting fruit, fruit that remains. And that's all we want. Like all we want is a life that leads people to Christ, that glorifies Jesus, that fills us with life, that gives us joy Work that goes beyond the whatever amount of years God has given us, lasting influence of our lives. And Jesus says every bit of that flows out of your close connection to Jesus Christ. You go to the Bible because you want Jesus. You pray because you want Jesus. You come to church because you want Jesus. Because you know the only life that you will ever experience and the only way anyone else will ever experience it from you is if you're just full of Jesus. We don't need one more Christian full of Bible studies. We need him full of Jesus. So God, help us so that every form we create here exists to fill you with Jesus. I just, I want to be a fruitful person. I want to have a fruitful ministry. I want to be a fruitful church. I want us to do the hard work of leading people to Christ. One of my primary prayers for the fast is that we would see life-transforming stories at Prince. I want to see drug addicts who are healed and homosexuals who come back to Christ. Like, I just, I want to see all, I know all of these needs that are in our church and with your children and your neighbors. We just want life transformation. So what do we do? We go hard after Jesus. And we get connected to Jesus. So every time we encounter one of those people, they experience his life. So here, here's the only application I have for you this morning. You're a form. This, this is a form. And God created you as a form that you might bear the image of God. And sin mars that image, but you still have this form. And the more that you seek Jesus, the more this form houses Jesus, and Ephesians 3.19 can happen, where we're filled with the fullness of God, and as we get filled with Jesus, all of a sudden this form, which can manifest all kinds of things, begins to manifest Jesus. So the question is simply this, how much substance is there in your form? How much Jesus is there in this form that God has given you 
as a gift that it might house the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? How much are you pursuing the substance, not just the form? It's my prayer that every single one of these forms might be filled with the fullness of Jesus, that we might bear the fruit of the mission of God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.